This episode is brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks. Book Riot listeners can download a free audiobook on us and get an extended free trial of the service by going to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 39, and we're recording on Friday, February 7th. I'm Jeff O'Neill, and I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're the editors of BookRad.com. Rebecca, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jeff. You're bursting at the seams with the story to tell us. <laughs> I met Well, LeVar. and I need to hear it, too. <laughs> I, I met LeVar Burton from yeah. Reading Rainbow this week. That's And you took a good picture. It, we took a great such a picture. good picture. I'm tell he has aged very nicely. <laughs> he looks great. He does uh, look great. He looks great in person too. It was like just the most bizarre, random. So you're thing. you're in line at the airport in Toronto. Yeah, I'm going through customs in Toronto, like the pre-clear customs uh, to leave Toronto and come back to the states. And I noticed Lavar Burton several rows behind me and like quietly freaked out to myself. And uh, then. You know, there are so many different windows you can get assigned to when you're going through customs that I lost track of LeVar. And at that point, I just admitted to myself that it was never going to happen. But then going through the security scanners, the fates brought us back together. And mm. uh, at that point, I had talked myself into this is a once in a lifetime thing. I would ne I don't like I have never approached a movie star when I've seen movie stars out in public. But LeVar Burton reading Rainbow. I work for Book Riot. Like it has to happen. Uh, I'm really impressed that you. You, you mustered up the moxie. You know, um, this is totally cheesy, but part of it is due to my recent reading of Lean In. And I was like, if ever there was a moment to just be like, I don't oh, care. Oh, dude, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so great. I, I actually really like that. that Sheryl Sandberg the... was talking to me in my brain about like, this is your one shot to talk to somebody who not only had an, a really big impact on you when you were a kid, but uh, who's, you know, does great work related to the work that that you do. And so uh, he ended up right next to me while I was putting my shoes on after security. And I just asked if I could take a picture with him. And while we were taking the picture, I just introduced myself and said that I worked for Book Riot um, and that I couldn't wait to share the picture with, you know, our Twitter followers that they thought it would be a huge deal. And so then he asked what Book Riot was. And then uh -huh. I got to tell him. And that, I mean, we talked for like 30 seconds. It right. wasn't like uh, we're not best friends now, despite <laughs> <laughs> despite what I might have dreamed about right. after the moment. Um, but it was really great. He was really kind. And uh, I think you're going to see some interesting, fun stuff going back and forth between Book Riot and Reading Rainbow uh, soon. Well, they have an app, right? Like that's their big they thing do. these days. They, yeah. they relaunched last fall with an iPad app that is a subscription model. It's nine either nine ninety a month or you can pay a slightly discounted fee for a longer period right. of time. I went and looked back at it uh, yesterday. I linked um, to it a long time ago. Yeah, I, I think we mentioned it maybe on the show really mm. briefly too when it first rolled out, but they put out, you know, reading rainbow type content, videos that explore books, and then there's e-reading content. And LeVar Burton, uh, like us, is a really big proponent of the ways that technology can make our reading lives better. Uh, so I got to nerd out and tell him how much uh, I appreciated his work and take a little picture with him. And it was super great. That's really great. <laughs> I'm sure so many of uh, our listeners, you know, did can sing the song and remember the intro oh, yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah, my husband's been walking through the house going, butterfly in the sky. <laughs> It's like it's such a weird opening to a, a song about Bucks a butterfly <laughs> in the sky. But hey, we all remember it. I guess it works. We do. Uh, it was great. Uh, it was one of those happy. Is he Canadian? 
No, he's oh, okay. he's, he's from the U.S. and he lives in uh, he lives in L.A. now. Okay, because right. I totally Googled him after. Oh, sure, I know you definitely did. <laughs> uh, but I don't if know even what just he to was... find out if you need to capitalize that V, keep right. it lowercase. Yeah, I don't know what he was in Toronto for, yeah. uh, but he was traveling with his uh, Reading Rainbow business partner, whom I also met. And cool. It was just, you know, one of those awesomely, really it was great. just a gift from the universe. <laughs> and I, I had a great moment. Uh, that's nice. All right. Well, you know what another great moment is when you do our first sponsor. Oh, right. And yeah. we have Audible back uh, as our sponsor this week. So we want to thank them for sponsoring the Book Riot podcast. If you haven't heard of Audible, uh, which hopefully you have because it's awesome, they are the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks. And we do have a special offer exclusively for Book Riot listeners here in just a second. Um, Audible offers more than a 150,000 ebooks covering virtually every genre. 150,000 books to choose from. It's just that's, uh, that sounds it's a bunch. That is it a is bunch. a whole bunch. Uh, if you want to listen to a book, Audible most likely has it. And uh, of course, you can listen to audiobooks at any time, anywhere, um, including on your iPhone, your iPad, on a Mac, a PC, a Kindle, or one of 500 other devices. Um, the very best part is that Audible is offering our Book Riot listeners a free audiobook download along with a free 30-day trial. So you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot uh, to take advantage of the offer. It uh, not only gets you a chance to check out the service, but it uh, shows your support for the show and it lets Audible know that Book Riot listeners are you know, checking out Audible and hopefully we'll have them continue to sponsor the show. Um, you and I are both huge audiobook fans. Both, both big fans and I'm in the middle of one I really like this weekend. I, I don't often do this but um, I'm doing one of those uh, I'm reading the book that the movie is based on right? oh. or listening to it Monuments Men. How is it? Uh, it's really good. So uh, it's it's by Robert M. Edsel with Brett Witter so I guess it's a co-writer um, and I'm listening to the audiobook. It's like 14 hours long and I, we saw a story I can't remember what it was about but it was about uh, recently, it was about some art that oh, it was in the there was Nazi art in the German Parliament. They're like, hey, wait a minute, right. we stole this, so we got to give this back. And I remember we were joking around on Twitter like we need Dan Brown to get on this, <laughs> and like this like this would be a total great um, story for Robert him. Langdon, like a stolen Da Vinci, you know, mm -hmm. in Hitler's underground bunker or whatever. And then I re I remembered seeing the trailer for the movie, and I didn't know that it was based on a true story, the Monuments Men, which was basically there's a group of um, British and American special, uh, a special unit called the Monuments Men, that their job during the invasion of, of Europe was to do the best they could to protect churches and museums um, and monasteries and historical monuments of all kinds and, the, and to track down artwork that had been removed and taken to other places. And it's really great. I mean, it's right up my alley. Like we, World War II, it's just the this, the inexhaustible vortex of narrative. And this is just another <laughs> show title. Show yeah. title. Oh yeah, the the bright banner around it. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Like you know, they don't have any real power. They can't tell anyone to do anything. So they have to continually be cajoling cajoling their mm. commanding officers to give me a car to go run this thing. Hey, why not? Let's not shell that particular building. Um, and also that Hitler himself, like one of his infinity crazy goals was to make his hometown of Linz, Austria into the new Florence. So he had all these plans of stealing all of the artwork and building a huge museum there and make it basically the new Louvre. Um, and so it, it's an amazing that story. Sounds awesome. It's great. I'm not all the way done. Um, so we'll see if these Nazis get whipped or not. Um, <laughs> but, but I really am enjoying yet another World War 
two story. It's never going to end. It just it just won't. So <laughs> that's um, great. It's good. What do you, what about you? Got one? Uh, I am almost finished with the psychopath test by John Ronson which is not what I was expecting it to be at all, mainly because I didn't know what it was about. I just knew that a bunch of people had said it was a great audiobook, And so I think based on the title, I expected it to be something about like a scientist revealing, you know, the ways to detect psychopathy in people. And it's a little bit that, but uh, Ronson is a British reporter and the story begins when he starts working with um, an academic who receives a strange package in the mail uh, that appears to be some sort of coded message. And she uh, is not alone in receiving this. A bunch of other academics in very particular uh, areas of study have also received this package. So they've contacted him and asked him to help them try to crack the code and figure out like who is behind these packages and what are they trying to tell us and why have we been chosen to receive them? And um, it turns out that there is no master plan for it, except there's just kind of a guy who's kind of crazy um, putting them, putting these things together. Um, it's not actually a, a secret mission that has a, a real purpose. And that leads him down the rat, like totally down the rabbit hole. Um, mm. The book is actually like seven or eight separate stories in one um, of how he became fascinated with what psychopath, what psychopathy is and how it plays out in society um, between uh, particularly in the business world. So he, he spends a chunk of his time um, interviewing like CEOs and trying to detect if it really is true that uh, people who are slightly psychopathic or mm. um, sociopathic uh, do succeed better in business because they're ruthless. Um, mm. He also attends a workshop with a, a famous researcher who had invented the questionnaire. It's a like 28 item questionnaire or something like that um, to help uh, therapists primarily identify and diagnose psychopathy. And so after he attends this intensive workshop, he becomes a little bit mad with his power and his ability to spot psychopaths and starts um, interviewing all sorts of people. Um, he goes down uh, to, to interview uh, a bunch of people who have conspiracy theories about the 777 uh, subway bombing in London. Mm. It's really fascinating <clears throat> stuff. Wow. And uh, he's funny and like a, a, also a very highly anxious journalist <laughs> so you get this like i was researching this crazy thing and then i got totally paranoid and worried that the crazy person was going to come <laughs> to come after me but um it's an intersection of a lot of things that i find really interesting and ronson narrates it himself and it's, it's very good uh my husband and i started listening to it on a road trip together recently and and he endorsed it as well. So that's been, if you're into psychology and so, social science and uh, even some of like the touch of business stuff, but also just kooky journalism stories, it's really great. Um, that sounds good. So thanks to Audible for checking, uh, sponsoring the show. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash book riot to take advantage of our special offer. Um, so we're going to go, the big story this week is not really a story. It, it was a, I don't even know what you'd call this. And let me preface this by saying this. There's a story about George Steinbrenner, who is a longtime owner of the Yankees, who used to say, you know, I can get the back page of the New York Daily News anytime I want. Mm -hmm. And this is what J.K. Rowling can now do to publishing. Anytime she wants to be the big story, she can be because she can do stuff like this. So this week, um, a snippet of an interview came out where actually Emma Watson interviewed her for a magazine. Uh, I can't remember the name. Wonderland of the magazine. magazine. Wonderland Magazine. We'll drop the link to the show notes. Um, Bookrat.com slash podcast saying that she should have, in hindsight, had Hermione and Harry end up together rather than Hermione and Ron. And that she had Hermione and Ron 
end up together for personal reasons is what she said. It's pretty vague. Right. She says, um, I had them end up together for personal reasons, not because they were a credible couple and the yeah. Hermione-Ron relationship was a form of wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, that's not really news. I mean, it kind of is interesting for fans of the show, uh, excuse me, fans of the series. But the more interesting thing I think was people really reacted to this. Like, they, big they time. They really did, which I guess is not surprising. So I have two I have two parts of response. The first okay. is, do you think that this was J.K. Rowling deciding to be like, hey, I could get the back page anytime that I want? I saw lots no. of sort of conspiracy style speculation that was akin to like, ooh, look at J.K. Rowling. You know, she cleverly drops this one line that she knows will be a huge deal. And, uh, and, and she's just working to keep herself relevant. I don't think so. That doesn't seem to me to be her style. Yeah, uh, I don't She's got a, almost a billion dollars. <laughs> like, is she's like, is someone not heard of Harry Potter <laughs> that's going to hear about it through this? Seriously. So, no, that's okay. So, what do you think? No, to? Yeah, think, I, no, think, she didn't. I think no also. J.K. Rowling doesn't have to try to remain relevant. She just is going to remain relevant for a long time. That's, right. Yep. It doesn't require a conspiracy. Um I guess second I part counselor. What's your? Second I was not question, surprised counselor? that people had so many. I, I maybe I don't have a second question. <laughs> My okay. second question is, what did you think about this? Oh, well. <laughs> or who would you have her end up with? I, I mean, I don't care really. I know. I mean, I'm a, I've always been a sort of a fan of the Hermione Ron backstory. My larger point, and it's weird that Emma Watson is interviewing her for this because a lot of people. It seemed to be most people like the Hermione Ron thing, but a lot of people were like, yes, it never made sense, blah, 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 Harry mm-hmm. Hermione. And I don't know if that's leading man and basically, um, on, for all intents and purposes, the leading woman of the series. I think one reason that people say that Harry and um, Hermione should have ended together is because of the movies. And I don't know, I'm just going to come out and say this. I think Emma Watson got too fine for the Hermione part. Is that is that wrong to say? Hmm. She started out as sort of this frizzy haired nerd, and by the and end of the movie series, and she just turned out like so like like movie star good looking, which the other two guys didn't, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if my memory from my memory from the book is that she is, you know, she grows up like the guys do, but she's not like superstar a list celebrity good looking, and so I wonder if some of the reaction is looking at the, the, the movie characters now. So oh, I, I don't know. That's kind of one of my thoughts. Yeah, I thought um, um, in the interview, Watson tells Rowling that um, she says, I think there are fans out there who know this too and who wonder whether Ron would have really been able to make her happy, which is interesting. But I also wondered if Harry would have been able to make Hermione yeah. happy. Like the, the thing that happens over and over in the series is that Harry and Ron, but mostly Harry, get themselves into these sticky spots. And it's <laughs> Hermione who actually has the, the information and, and saves the day. Hermione is, the, she's the brains of I, the group. I agree completely. Um, my theory is that there weren't no wand that was a match for that that witch uh, in Hogwarts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like in, and I was, th- you know, in real life, very few people end up with the person that they were dating in eighth or right. ninth grade. And so it, it works for this series that Hermione ends up with, with Ron. Um, it would have been, to me, it would have been too neat if she had ended up with Harry, but also Harry is dark and troubled and like, you know, is going to 
have continue to have issues. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's got PTSD and, still. Right, like, right. Really what would have happened is that Hermione, like they would have all gone off to college and sort of grown apart from each other. And Hermione would have met somebody who was in, also incredibly smart. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happens next in Hogwarts. They don't really tell you that, you know, you're 18 and you're out of boarding school and you, do you go off to Cambridge now? <laughs> I, I don't think it doesn't make any, anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The big story is Ro- Rowling wanted to go one way with her, heart or head mm-hmm. and that that didn't match up and so she's saying now um that she wish she could have had it the other way you know i think it's fun to debate for fans um the virtues of either pairing uh, i think you know more than anything and I, I was talking about this on twitter a little bit yesterday it's like how many characters in this series that people loved i mean right. that is i was just thinking it was like there's two three dozen i could name off the top of my head of great characters that people really like um, even for a book, a uh, series of seven books, mm-hmm. there's just so many great characters and people have such an attachment to them. And I, even more than the, the, the world she creates and the storyline, I think it's her characters that people get so attached to. And that's a real testament to her. And this is just a reminder of like, there's so much love out there for this series still. It's like so hard to, to I, measure. I think so too. And, you know, some great series came out on the heels of the Harry Potter success, particularly um, the Hunger Games and the Twilight series. And now we're starting to see the things that came out on the heels of those. Um, but I, I don't think that any of those are going to have the kind of longevity that we're seeing Harry Potter have and that we'll continue to see Harry Potter have precisely because there are so many characters. It's not just a love for this main trio, um, mm-hmm. but so many characters that flesh out this world and that Rowling created a, a universe that we, that, that readers have loved spending time in and would want to go back to. I know, I think we talked in a previous show about how the Hunger Games is different from Harry Potter in that way that you could admire Katniss or you could have a little book crush on Peta or Gale, but that's not a world that readers long to spend more time in. And yeah. I think Rowling could just keep writing novels set in the Harry Potter universe forever and people would just keep reading them as long as the characters, you know, stayed. they're just charming and quirky and fun to be around. Yeah, so if you've got an opinion, a strong one, uh, let us know, podcast at bookwright.com. Um, and if she ever wanted to open up mm-hmm. her world to other people, um, we talked about this before, Amazon Worlds where... That was a heck of a segue, my friend. Uh, hey, not, not, <laughs> not, my, not my first time. Uh, Amazon Worlds is a program through Amazon in which you can write f- using characters of established stories and properties um, and to deal with Amazon and write your own fan fiction and get paid for it and do it on the up and up. Um, and Vonnegut's um, work is mm-hmm. available to to crib from. Um, I know there's already been a Billy Pilgrim fan fiction from Hugh Howey, I think, a short story, yeah. if I remember correctly. And two new properties got added this week. A couple of bigger ones, not not. I won't say these are A list ones. These are kind of B, C plus. Oh. Uh, well, I mean, A A list is you got your Narnias, your oh, Hogwarts. Right. You okay. see what I'm saying? Okay, like the, that's all right. And so this is Veronica Mars and GI Joe. So Which, if you want to write fan fiction and get paid for it, and you got to kick back some of your mm-hmm. money to um, Amazon and their deal partners, you could write your own Veronica Mars or G.I. Joe fan fiction. This seems really smart to me, particularly on the part of the Veronica Mars Oh, people. the timing's beautiful. Right. They have the movie coming out. You know that there was Veronica Mars fan fiction all over Tumblr before it was allowed anyway. And so now uh, now you can get paid for doing that, for writing characters that, weren't on t- that aren't on TV anymore, but that were in that lag time. Before the movie comes out, um, 
I had, I've never seen Veronica Mars, but I plan to rectify that uh, via Netflix shortly. Uh, but people love this show and love the character. Um, I don't know about G.I. Joe. I mean, I guess there are plenty of stories to make up and there's always military news and something that you could, could run off. Yeah. Maybe on. for uh, middle grade readers, ah, right, you know, okay. younger, younger kids. Um, I think we were interested in when we first talked about this story, when it was announced, you know, Amazon sometimes does stuff like this and it kind of withers on the vine, mm-hmm. but this looks like they're actively seeking out deals. And these are n- names that most people who pay attention to American popular culture, especially know. So this is turning into a real thing. I still don't think they've gotten one of the, you know, they haven't got one of the big sort of sink your teeth into it um, properties that a lot of people are interested in. But, you know, if they get enough of these and they can start showing some results, maybe eventually they're going to um, be able to to do something. Yeah, I've been thinking about what it would take to make this become a really, really big deal. Um, And I think what it'll take is a, a recognized novelist writing a fan fiction take or a, um, a you know, a, what is the word I am looking for? <laughs> you know, you know, an adaptation or their own original or sort a, of fan uh, fiction story. Or like a different story. perspective, um, the altered perspective, uh, shifted, right. pers- that's it, shifted perspective um, oh, story. Oh, like G.I. Joe from the perspective of uh, Cobra Commander. Or like how, you know, you are constantly longing for Gatsby from Daisy's perspective. Oh. Um, but a lot of, like, so Joe Baker did Longborn this year, which is, I mean, it's essentially Pride and Prejudice fan fiction, but it's told from the... Um, from the servant's perspective, Jean Rhys did Wide Sargasso Sea years ago, which is, um, if it hadn't been written by a reputable novelist, it would have been called fan fiction, but instead yeah, it's true. literature. Um, that, that line is really interesting. And so, um, I think what it'll take is a novelist, uh, uh, you know, who already has earned their bona fides deciding to do a shifted perspective story inspired by a, another well-loved work that's not yet in the public domain. Cause that's why we're so... seeing this stuff around Jane Eyre and and prejudice like let's just say like if maureen johnson did a really good veronica mars ya novel right i and, could see okay and the yeah, way that I'm she listening. like right now the way that she'd be able to do that she would have to go through kindle worlds um mm-hmm. in order to be able to write this licensed character um or um, it wouldn't be an idiotic idea for the movie company to like hire someone to do it Right. Or like incentivize them or make, say, write this as part of Kindle Worlds and we'll throw it in with the publicity for um, the movie, which comes out March 5th, 14th, 15th, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, anyway, so we're going to keep an eye on that. I, I, I Maybe this could be just a good one. Maybe just a good, ver- maybe it doesn't have to be by a recognizable name, just a good fan fiction through Amazon Worlds that gets people to think that it's not just a joke, which is, I think, the fight they're fighting right now. Uh, you know, I think that that's part of it. It'll have to be good and well-written, but I do think that it, it will take being written also by someone who is already recognized as an author who has earned their bona fides. Because uh, what I see happening, a conversation that pops up, um, it happened a lot when the announcement came out that Vonnegut's books and characters had been licensed for this program, are sort of the, the lit snobs that uh, we like to point out frequently here on the Book Riot podcast. Um want to call fan fiction, you know, things that uh, fan fiction is just a hobby. Fan fiction is just a thing that amateurs do. Um, fan fiction is often used as a derogatory term. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey came out and people are like, oh, it's just Twilight fan fiction, which uh, maybe it was born out of that, but it certainly became something. 
much bigger. And so I think that there are two important pieces there. The first is that um, it's written by someone who uh, already is considered a legit writer uh, so that their work is perceived not as fan fiction, but as, you know, actual uh, literature uh, that that is legit, uh, too legit to quit, man. And and also that it has to be, it has to be good. Um, because there's functionally no difference between, um, the inspiration for wide Sargasso sea and the inspiration, um, for a person with a Tumblr account who writes another shifted narrative or a shifted story inspired by Jane Eyre. But the difference is that Jean Reese had a, a publishing deal with a big house who gave their stamp of approval to it. So I think that, um, I do think that matters that it comes from someone at least while we're making this transition into allowing other people uh, to write uh, well-loved and licensed characters, uh, it's this is how you go mainstream and how you make fan fiction uh, something that has less stigma attached to it. Is you get um, recognized names that also have the uh, sort of gatekeeper stamp of approval on them. Yeah, it's going to be a while before we know if this is a thing or not a thing. It's just going to, but right. it's not dead. At least on Amazon's part. And uh, knowing is half the battle, uh, So, as they say in G.I. Joe. Uh, (laughs) we got a favor to ask everybody real quick. Um, We're doing for this month's poll on bookwrite.com, we're asking you to tell us about your reading habits. Very quick survey, how many books you read last year, how many were in print, how many were in ebook. And um, let's see. I guess that's that's it. We're looking for print versus ebook this time. No audiobooks. Maybe we'll do that one on a future... Um, oh yeah, poll. that was that was just an oversight on on my part because <laughs> I'm so interested in how our readers are making the transition to digital yeah. or not making it. That um, even though I listened to a ton of audiobooks, I didn't think to ask that. So uh, it's not that I don't think they matter. It uh, just didn't occur to me to ask when I was creating a survey with the intention of keeping the data easy to analyze. But no, I think that's fair. I think it actually muddies the water. Maybe the next one will be just have you re- have you listened to an audiobook in the mm-hmm. last. 12 months, yes or no. Yeah, we've been, we've been seeing, we've been talking about everybody else's um, survey stats. And so now I'd like to, you know, see where Riot readers shake out and how we're doing. And we've got a bunch so far, right? Like 1,500. So I, the I more looked, the better. It was merrier. like 1,500 last night. It's like 1,700 this morning. And so um, please come and uh, take the survey and help us have lots of juicy, crunchy data that we can talk about in methodology corner sometime. Good. Um, we've got a trio of sort of digital news things yeah. related to that. Uh, let's see. Our friends at Kobo scored a bit of a coup this week. Um, Sony is getting out of the ebook business, at least in North America, and um, they're transferring their Sony e-reader store customers to Kobo. So if you have a Sony e-reader or ever bought a book through the Sony e-reader store, that's now going to all happen through Kobo. Interesting. Sony is going through a lot of upheaval right mm-hmm. now. They're actually selling off their Vio notebook business um, and maybe some of their other businesses too to focus on mobile devices. I think they're getting rid of their TV business or something like oh, that. Oh, interesting. I as that. well. So this is part of a larger streamlining for the the giant Japanese conglomerate. Um, but this is to serve as heads up for you Sony reader users out there that you're going over to Kobo, which I think is a, a good switch actually for you. Honestly, you had a Sony e-reader for a while, didn't you? I Do did I way right? back in the day. Like my yeah. my very first e-reader four or five years ago was was a Sony e-reader, um, which I 
bought at the time because um, that was when indie bookstores had partnerships with Google eBooks. And so you could buy your Google eBooks through your indie bookstore and read eBooks and support an indie bookstore. And you could put, you could load them on to a Sony reader. Um, it took, you know, the, the typical angsty side loading stuff, but you could do it. Um, and back then the Sony reader also had pretty decent note taking capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, it is amazing to me how far e-reading technology has come in the last four or five years and what the note-taking capabilities are like. <laughs> Seriously, Now, yeah. I was thinking about my old Sony reader the other night and I'm like, oh boy, I, I just if I had known how good it was going to get. <laughs> yeah, e-reading. I know. They really are uh, amazing. So you're gonna, if you have a Sony e-reader that you're still using, you can get the Kobo app mm-hmm. um, and you probably want to start now using Kobo for your store. I, I, I guess, presumably, you can get Amazon and Barnes & Noble apps on that, too. I, have, I don't know about the Sony ecosystem, yeah. I have to say. But this I'm is not, a public I, service announcement for you guys. It is. Public service announcement. And, you know, of course, we, we can disclaim that we have a partnership with uh, with Kobo, but we, right. we love what they do, and that's why we have a partnership uh, with them. And your Kobo book purchases can be used to support an indie bookstore as well. Uh, so... Just you yeah. know, watch out for. And if uh, I'm interested, that. if just if any of you do have Sony readers, so let us know yeah, on Twitter. Know. Shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. Maybe our next uh, poll should be which e-reader do you have? That'd yeah. be interesting to see too. What our what our folks got? Um, you know, one thing that's interesting. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this story or I linked to a story a while ago about how the differences in ebook pricing in different countries have affected the ebook markets in mm-hmm. different countries. So, example. In the UK, the average selling price of an ebook is way lower than the average selling price of an ebook in the US. Um, and these national differences, as we're making these transitions to different kinds of book ecosystems, are really interesting. And this is the most shocking statistic I've seen so far. This is a study I linked to this week that in the Netherlands, 90% of ebooks are pirated. That is crazy. So the average Nederlander, as we say in German, um, the average denizen of the Netherlands has 117 books on their e-reader, and only 11 of them are paid for. And also in the Netherlands, electronic books only account for 4.5% of the total revenue publishers rake in, uh, which it says uh, in 2012, over 600,000 e-books were sold from a paltry pool of only 16,000 titles. But an important piece of information that is buried in this is that there is not yet an Amazon Kindle store available in the so, Netherlands. yeah, that's a really good point. I guess what we're seeing is here, these people want ebooks that are using e-readers in the Netherlands, but they can't get them. Right. So, you so, know what they're doing? They're pirating them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Give the like, people what they want. Right. When an Amazon store opens up, uh, when other ebook retailers yeah. you know go into the Netherlands you know it's uh, getting ebooks off of a torrent pirating service is not the easiest thing no. to do and the files are often not terrific um, the reading experience is often not great so if i had to guess i would guess that once they can buy legit ebooks from Amazon or I don't know if Apple's going to go there. Maybe Kobo wants to open a store in the Netherlands. Who knows? I know people, Amazon's not great internationally. Kobo tends to be a bit yeah, better and Apple does too. So I, interesting read, to see. People want to read good ebooks, you know, not just, not just whatever they can get, uh, which appear right now, whatever they can get is mostly stuff that they have to torrent. Uh, right. so solve this problem, please. Right. Give the people what they want. You know, it's like, it's like they say, you know, you can fight piracy be, by making legitimate purchases easy and reasonably right. priced. Totally. Um, another quick story from uh, our good friends on the continent, a German company called, I can't, I can't quite, how does, I'm not sure how to say the name of this company. R E 
A-D-F-Y. Readfy. Readfy. Uh, a German company is launching an ab-subsidized ebook service hmm. in a limited beta. So think um, Oyster, which we've talked about. Think Scribd, which we've talked about. But it's it'll be totally free. But you got to look at some ads. So it's like Pandora. It. Right. Yeah. Exactly. More like that kind of a situation. Pandora or RDO mm-hmm. um, or uh, really more like Spotify. I guess yeah. is what say Spotify, not Netflix for ebooks. They've got fifteen thousand titles in the initial batch, and I don't know. You know, I don't know that I would do this, but I know people like free books. Mm-hmm. What well, do you think? And, you know, I think it's it's worth a shot for sure. Um, the one of the biggest responses that we've heard when we've talked about Oyster and Scribd and the ebook subscription model is from people who right now get their ebooks um, from their library and they don't have um, a budget for buying new books, which is a thing that that a lot of readers face. And so the the 10 buck a month subscription fee is just not worth it to them, even if the reading experience might be better on those apps, because they don't have that budget for buying books, but they might be willing to, uh, to use a service like this and to encounter some ads in service of getting access to books that their library doesn't have or to having a better um, UI, a better reading, you know, user uh, interface. So I think it's worth a shot. And I think it's worth a shot. And they're also sure. offering, like Spotify, they offer the premium, uh, the premium option of ten euros per month to be completely ad free and to have an offline reading mode. Um, so you can, it's that freemium thing. Yep. Um, which I think it's totally worth a shot. I think you know, it's readers should have a diverse way of getting books. And it's like TV; you should right. be able to get it over the air for free with ads, which is kind of what this is. You mm-hmm. should be able to pay a sort of a modest premium to get it through cable, maybe a super premium to get a super nice hardback, a subscription service, a la carte, iTunes, whatever you want. And so this is really filling out, this is suggesting like like TV and movies that books are going towards the whole range of ways you can get a book. And some of it you're trading money for access and some of it you're trading your attention mm-hmm. and some of it you're renting and some of it you're owning. I think it's all good. This is right. all good. To yeah, try. I, I love the variety of options that are available yeah. right now. And when my cable company rolls out a service where I can pay an extra $10 a month or whatever to not have to fast forward through ads on shows <laughs> that I DVR, I will totally give them dollars for that option. Um, this is reminding me a couple of years ago, Amazon came out with a Kindle that was like a, a lower priced Kindle that had ads in it. Do you remember this? Yeah. Well, whatever Kindle, happened. Um, I don't know what the status of that is. I think it's still around where you got a lower and, price. You got 30 bucks off if you looked at ads. Right. And um, I think out. maybe you just look at ads on all of them now. I'm not sure. Oh. You know, if you know, if you're a Kindle user and you know, we're not, neither of us are Kindle users. Um, let us know at uh, podcast at bookwright.com what the status of the the ad subsidized yeah. Kindles and are. Would you use an e-reading app, um, a new one, if it was free to use, but you had to look at ads? Or would you rather pay to not have to look at the ads? Right. Because I'm, I'm the kind of guy, with TV, I don't mind looking at ads for free. But for some of his books, I don't want the ads. I'd rather pay for it. That's just my idiosyncratic uh, uh, distribution. There. Yeah, it feels like maybe because ads have always been a part of our television viewing experience and they have not been a part of our reading experience. It, to me, it would feel disruptive, but I also haven't tried it. So I'm just guessing that it would feel disruptive and it might be like everything else. I might just get used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, So it's, it's a limited beta in Germany. Yeah. So it's going to be a while before we can try that. If you're a German listener um, and interested in this, uh, R-E-A-D 
FY. It's a limited beta. You can probably go to their website and sign up for whenever and a uh, slot comes available. You can try it for free, and then we would love to hear about how it works. Love to hear about it. Um, so 15,000 titles, not a huge catalog, um, but for free, it's worth trying. Yeah. It's worth trying. All right, where do we go, where do we want to go next? Hmm. I want to talk about the Heroes of the Week. Let's do Heroes of the Week. So, well, you found this story. Uh, there is a bar in Chicago called the Sorrento that holds a monthly silent reading night. Uh, the headline of this uh, from thestranger.com is the silent reading party on the unexpected sexiness of many people quietly reading and drinking in public. <laughs> this is my dream. It's so great. I mean, so you go there the first Wednesday of every month mm -hmm. and you sit down and you order a cocktail Get a Manhattan for five Get a Manhattan. bucks. There you go. Oh God, that sounds great. <laughs> um, and you sit there and read for a while. Yeah, you know this. This sounds like the best thing, like the best of all possible worlds. So to me. good. I mean, because it's fun to go out. It's fun to go with other people. Mm -hmm. It's fun to meet other people. Um, but also sometimes you want to sit there and read. I think I like this better than, what was the name of that bar the we saw? The Sidecar. The Sidecar. Yeah, that had the um, don't interrupt people reading mm -hmm. on their rules yeah. of, uh, of the like, establishment. Yeah, this is just an assumption that everyone who comes in on this night will be there yeah. to read. And uh, the, the writer of this article, his name is Christopher Frizzell, notes that... Um, the insane thing about this party where you're just supposed to sit and read quietly and not make small talk is that it makes you want to make small talk, um, <laughs> watching what people are reading and hearing them, you know, start to giggle or sigh or respond in some way um, to what they're reading or if they're there with friends, just, you know, passing books back and forth and pointing out the good parts to each other. This just sounds, it sounds so charming. I've, uh, I sent it to our book rec contributor, Greg Zimmerman this morning, who lives in Chicago with a like, mm -hmm. please go investigate this. Uh, I'll be in Chicago later this year. And I hope you've got to gotta go Sorrento hotel. If you're in Chicago it, or traveling should, there, this should be a thing. Reading parties should be a thing. Like I, I agree. I can never seem to finish a book for book club, but I would love to get together once a month with other people who like books and just sit quietly and read things together and then point out the good parts. There's, Absolutely. There's nothing and this I don't is one like of about those, this. This is one of those old world hotel bars too that has like big comfy chairs. Mm -hmm. Like mahogany um, on the walls. Yeah, and velvet couches and nice little end tables and nice tapestries and dim lighting. It looks, I want to go there right now mm -hmm. and drink a $5 Manhattan and read on my iPad. Yes. I guess that's what I'm wanting to do This right sounds now. lovely. Yeah, I don't know if you guys can tell, we've had major technical difficulties while recording the show. And I think Rebecca and I just want to drink heavily. Right. <laughs> it is 1048 PM and I am thinking about whiskey. <laughs> or right. 1048 AM. I can't even keep my <laughs> We don't need what, we know what day it is. I don't we even know, know what time what's happening it is. to me right now. We don't know now. where we are. <laughs> uh, we saw LeVar Burton. We're all, we're all, we're all, um, I'm just all a flummoxed. We're a flummoxed. <laughs> all right, let's do new books and then let's get out of here. Yeah, we should. Yeah. This is a really huge week huge for books. Huge week. And not just new books, but paperback in particular. Man, February yeah. is a good time for paperback readers. So first, hardcover. Uh, we got By Blood We Live by Glenn Duncan, which is the third and final entry in his last werewolf trilogy. Um, I have loved... Well, I loved the first book, and I loved this final book by Blood We Live. I did not love the second book, but I enjoyed it. Duncan writes these sort of swagger-filled, very literary characters because they've been alive for hundreds of years. Uh, and uh, the first one is from the perspective of Marlo, who is supposed to be the last living werewolf, and he's trying to outrun the uh, world police for occult creatures. 
Uh, there's an acronym for it in the book, but I can't remember what it is at this point. Um, in the second book, it turns out, surprise, there's a lady werewolf. And um, then in the third book, it's uh, a many perspectives. The narr- This is the first time that the narratives shift back and forth between uh, a thousands and thousands of year old vampire and a young vampire and a werewolf. And we get sort of the vampire origin story. It was really fun, an excellent read and a solid ending to the trilogy. And if, like me, you prefer your vampires and werewolves to be um, scary, but also smart and sexy, uh, you might want to check this out. On a totally other end is One More Thing, Stories by B.J. Novak, uh, who played Ryan, the intern on the television show The Office, and who also was a writer for the show. Um, These are sort of, some of them are stories, but a lot of them are vignettes. I feel like they tacked stories onto this because they didn't really know what else to call (laughs) call Fragments. Yeah, but the the collection, like sort of the variety of pieces in the collection feel like the variety that you get in a David Sedaris collection, Mm, um, mm -hmm. minus the memoir. There's not really memoir stuff. Uh, in here, but they're they're very funny. Novak is clever. Um, to me, it felt like if David Sedaris and Simon Rich had had a kid who was funny, but not quite as funny as they are, um, which is still really funny. Uh, worth a read. They're quirky, and Novak is just charming as hell. And the the book is out this week. There's a great trailer too. I'll jump a link in the show notes to that. There's a great uh, book trailer for One More Thing. Did you have you watched that yet? I haven't watched the trailer. Um, it's pretty funny. It's, you know, I, I won't spoil it more than that, but it's worth it's worth a look if you're interested in the book at all. And he was uh, uh, he was at Word, um, our friends, the Word bookstores earlier this week, and they confirmed that it was a great event and he's fun. So if you get a chance to see him on book tour, go do that. He's doing a lot of events. Uh, he was on Letterman. He's going to be on Colbert. He's been doing a lot of stuff. So check him out. He seems like a, a genuinely smart and funny uh, guy. It's, it's, we're getting now, we're picking up real steam of into paperbacks, the big paperbacks from last year. The mm-hmm. big books of last year are now starting to come out in paperback. We've got a bunch of these. The Flamethrowers by Rachel Kushner, which I really liked and a lot of people really liked. It's about a young woman in the 70s New York City art world. I'm in right away, anytime. <laughs> Historical New York novels, I'm in. Really good story. A, a, a young artist um, trying to figure out how to be a woman and an artist and a person in the world and her relationship to this guy. She gets caught up in, weirdly, the labor troubles of an Italian motorcycle company. Um, she also ends up trying to break the women's land speed record on the salt flats of Utah. It goes all over the place. Um, and some really beautiful writing from Rachel Kushner. That was a big one last year. The Woman Upstairs by Claire Messud. You really like. I'm did. going to read this at some point. Yeah, it was one of my favorite books of the year, and I almost missed it. <laughs> yeah, almost you caught it the very tail. Right at the very end of the year, so it's out. It's about a righteously and rightfully uh, angry young woman who is rolling toward forty and is facing down the fact that her life is never going to be uh, what she dreamed it would be, sort of what she felt entitled for it to be, and she becomes entangled in a, a family. Um, uh, an artist and a, I think the man is an academic and they have a son that she who's a, who's a student in her class and she becomes entangled in many ways with this family um it is it is so ragey in the beginning the first 50 pages of this book I think are the best 50 the best first 50 pages of any book that I read last year it's yeah, just you, such you a, mentioned that several times which that's the hook for me yeah, the beginning of the flamethrowers I should say is really good too it's about the motorcycle racing which is really ooh, excellent so, nice yeah. Um, also, this week, The Love Song of Johnny Valentine by Teddy Wayne. If I remember right, I, I'm, I'm doing this from memory. This is like, it's the, it's the story, first-person story mm-hmm. fiction of 
kind of a Justin Bieber type character. Yeah, right? he's a he's a, um like an eleven year old pop star, and right. he's number two on the charts. He cannot crack number one, <laughs> and in the way of famous kids, Johnny Valentine is much. Um, he knows many more things about the ways of the world than an eleven year old mm-hmm. should, but. In the ways of 11-year-olds, he's also very, you know, still naive and a kid. Uh, it, it is so funny. Teddy Wayne, just spot-on satire. Um, a lot of people really like that. And Teddy Wayne is a really funny guy he, and a good writer. He really is. And then uh, for quirky, since since my constant refrain is how much I love weird short stories. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Miniature Wife by Manuel Gonzalez. It is just a really phenomenal collection of short stories. It is weird uh, and so creative. The premise of the first story is about a flight that gets stuck in a holding pattern over a major city before they can land, and they stay in the holding pattern for years and years and years. And he plays out sort of the logical end of what would happen to these people stuck up on a plane <laughs> forever. I haven't been able to fly for the last year without thinking about that happening oh, God. uh the title story is about a scientist who's working on miniatures miniaturization a uh, sort of honey i shrunk the kids style and uh he f- gets some bad news from his wife and he accidentally shrinks her and has her living in a dollhouse in their house uh, and then she gets away and uh, just a bunch of other creative premises in the story and as an added bonus manuel gonzalez does this cool thing called the thousand words project which you can find at thousand it's on tumblr i think it's thousandwords.com where he works with a photographer who takes a photo um once a week i believe or once a month she sends him the photo and then he writes a story based on that photo just inspired by it Uh, and they've Mm. also partnered with a musician who then has written a song based on the story based on the photo and then the photographer took another picture based on the song that was based on the Whoa, story wait, that was based wait, on wait my the photo. brain fell out okay <laughs> it's I, I think i followed that but i'm i i, I got lost on the crazy train it's crazy i saw all of them together gonzalez and the photographer and the musician at his launch event for the book um, at word in brooklyn last year and i wrote a piece about it for book riot so we can drop that in that clearly explains the order in which these things happen <laughs> but he's just a cool creative guy and the stories are a lot of fun Cool. That's that's a good week. And we're going to get out of here on that note while um, the internet gods are smiling, or at least not frowning upon our endeavors. <laughs> we haven't yet had to sacrifice yeah. a chicken. Yeah. So as always, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Reading Ape. She is Rebecca Shinsky on Twitter, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. You can find Book Riot on whatever social media platform you want. You got Pinterest, we got your Pinterest. You want Tumblr, we got your Tumblr. Facebook, Twitter, we got your Facebook and Twitter. Um, let's see. You can always rate the show on iTunes. That really helps us out. I think the, the big one we want you to remember this week, episode two of the Dear Book Nerd podcast is out. It is. Um, Rebecca was guest hosting with our friend and colleague, Rita Mead, who is a librarian here in New York, who's great. It's a biweekly bookish advice show about life, love, and literature. And uh, you were on the first two, and I am um, excited to be on the next couple. Oh, fun. So check those out. You can search for Dear Book Nerd in the iTunes store or on bookriot.com. That's a half-hour oh, show. So half-hour show. So if you have yeah. a, shorter, uh, a shorter drive or a walk coming up, uh, you can pop over to the show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast to see all of the links that we discussed and to take their reading habits That's what survey. we want you to do. That's what we want you to do. Okay. Uh, this is what I wanted to end with. I want your prediction. Okay. I want your results. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think the results are going to be? 
For for which question? For the well, both. Like, what do you think the breakdown is going to look like? Hmm. I've well, I've sort of been peeking at some of the responses. No, that's cheating. Okay, I'm going to say that. <laughs> well, no, you go first, and then I'll. Well, there's huge variation, which is of really course. fun and yeah. interesting to see. I'm going to guess that the average books completed last year is going to be between 45 and 55. Okay. And I think that the um, we asked a percentage of ebooks and percentage of print books, and I'm going to say that it'll be. Thirty-five percent ebooks, sixty-five print. Thirty-five percent e, sixty-five percent. That's pretty good. Um, so book riot readers tend to be pretty serious readers on the whole. Mm -hmm. And the question then is, are they going to be more or less likely to read ebooks than the general public? Because you would think that they would be more likely to read ebooks, and initially I think that was true. But now that we're getting into the more developed part of the cycle. Um, I think some real hardcore readers are sticking print. They're sticking to their guns, mm -hmm. as it were. Sixty-five, thirty-five. I'm going. I'm going seventy, thirty. All I mean, right. not that much different. Just a little bit more towards print uh, this go around. Um, and so forty-five, fifty-five. I think it's gonna be higher than that. You do. I'm going sixty-five. Okay. I'm going sixty-five. Um, but please do let us know, and we'll do methodology corner to our own results. We will. When this is up. It'll be well, we fun. already know what the problems are, right? We already know what the problems are. <laughs> we didn't are ask about be. audiobooks. Well, audiobooks, but also this is self selecting opt in. Sure. Um, which is, you know, you never want to no do No matter this how big science. the sample, it's not representative. Yeah, not representative. It's representative of the people who. A saw the, the, <laughs> oh. the, the, the survey and B, and B chose to the, take it. To chose to take uh, it yeah. So we will go into depth more since we're briefly mentioning methodology corner. If someone sends you that infographic about the slowdown of the ebook market, ignore the whole thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that yeah. thing needs a good long time out in methodology corner. And since we don't have time to break out the like mm -hmm. multiple studies that were combined into that infographic, just trust me. It's bad. It's bad. Uh, oh, so you know what? While we're doing sort of a mini after dark, um, I saw Harper Collins, our, our our champions at Harper Collins, mm -hmm. their profit this quarter was up thirty one percent over the same quarter a year ago. That's what you get for a trying. That's new what you cool get things, for being man. brave. Be bold, man. Try stuff out. We They're will making throw money. our money at you. It doesn't hurt that uh, Insurgent came out. Oh. Um, <laughs> but seventeen percent of their revenue is ebook. That's awesome. 17, no, no, I'm sorry. Their ebook revenue grew seventeen percent year over year. Good job, Harper um, Collins. So good job, Harper Collins. They're, they're the ones trying Oyster. They're trying Scrib. They're trying Kindle Match. They're doing the American Airlines. We're going to give you a free ebook yep. for your flight thing. Some other stuff I can't remember right Someday now. Someday I'm going to meet their chief digital officer and have a Lavar Burton moment with her. <laughs> yeah, maybe at a silent reading night. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? What if Lavar <laughs> Burton had been across the table from you at silent reading night and you couldn't talk to him because you were oh, forbidden? I would, no, that's you break the rules for that. You man. do. You get thrown out of the hotel, Sorrento. I would pass him a note and say, "Oh my gosh, Lavar Burton, I love your work. Can I take a picture with you later? Check yes or no." <laughs> <laughs> Check yes or no if you love me, LeVar Burton. Um, it sounds like, like a Judy Bloom discarded idea. for, a, for a... LeVar Burton was great. He would totally check yes. He, he would, would totally. <laughs> he would let you take a picture. Oh, that sounds great. All right, let's end it there on an up note while we're having a good time and we don't want to kill our Macs in front of us. So, All right, Rebecca, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys.